Let's dive right into our scripture this morning. We have some uh, black Bibles under the chairs in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, you can pick up one of those under the the chairs uh, just in front of you or the one that you're sitting on. Um, If you need to just kind of elbow or nudge someone to get you one of those, you're welcome to grab one. Uh, We are going to be, as we have been for the last couple of years, this morning again in Ephesians. So we are going to plow right through. We're going to be in Ephesians 5. So if you want to turn there now to Ephesians 5. We started in the last um, couple of weeks for us to to get through 5. We're not going to make it through 5 this morning. We're just going to make it a little further in. We're going to be looking specifically at verses 6 through 10. And I'll say uh, first, uh, it's it's a it's a privilege to be able to, to teach with teach you all this morning. Um, as I mentioned before, for our, our guests who are here, Mike and I are the the two elders. Um, Mike, our primary uh, teaching pastor here at Redemption Hill, and and on occasion uh, he does um, as we work through how we're going to teach and what we're going to teach each week, um, open up opportunity for uh, those who are capable of teaching in the church to assume the, the responsibility and the privilege of being able to teach. And I, I get the chance to do that this morning throughout Ephesians. Um, Blake has had a chance. Greg has had a chance. Uh, Joel. Uh, expect to see those uh, teachers also come and, and teach uh, this, teach the book before we, we get through it and, uh, in May, right? Mid-May, I believe is when we're going to schedule. Mid, end of May? End of May. Um, if we stay on track, we'll be, we'll be uh, completing Ephesians by the end of May, but I'm grateful to be able to, to, to lead us through it this morning. All right, so that should give us enough time to get to Ephesians 5. We are going to read verses uh, 1 through 21 together, as been our, our uh, practice for the last couple of weeks. And we practice a little bit of liturgy here at Redemption Hill. And uh, as we read this together, um, at the end of it, I'll uh, say that this is the word of the Lord, and you can say thanks be to God. All right, so let's read together. Therefore... Be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is improper for among saints. Sorry. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, 
making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As I said earlier, we have been taking our time going through Ephesians, and there's good reason for that, because this letter, as, as much all of Scripture, um, is just packed full of meaning. There's a lot for us to unpack here this morning, and we're going to spend some time doing that. But I would also tell you, too, if you have missed the lead-up, the two years, year, year and, uh, or more that we've gone through this, you can go back and listen to that on our SoundCloud. We, re- we record every single week. We even record the liturgies that we do every week now, too, so you can go back and catch up on all of those as well if you'd like to learn a little bit more. But this week, um, we, we're going to have a lot to go through, too, as we look at verses 6 through 10. So I want us to, to focus on that. We're, our eyes are going to go there here, chapter 5, verses, verse 6. And we're going to start here with, with, Let no one deceive you with, with empty words. Church, this should remind us a bit of what we've talked about in the last uh, few weeks. It's now been, um, I guess, nearly a month now since we've talked about uh, heresy and false teaching. Um, and if you missed that week, again, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that on SoundCloud. That's week, uh, that was January 21st. So if you're looking for that one, uh, you can go back to the 21st and listen to it. But this morning, we're going to turn our focus here instead to the charge that's being made. And this is a call to the church to not be deceived. In a sense, this is a call for us, us all individually and us all corporately, to defend our hearts from deception. And not just a call from false teachers, but but a false culture that's being allowed to exist in the church. And when I say culture, I'm I'm talking about the, the the words, the actions, the language, or the actions and attitudes of a specific people group. And so that is the call that we have this morning from the scripture that we read. Now, deception that I'm, we're going to talk about this morning, this occurs at the heart level. And our hearts, contrary to, to what maybe we might think or read or what our culture tells us, Our hearts are not good hearts. Our hearts are wicked, and they're prone to do what they want. And if you're like me, the last week, um, we've been seeing a lot of hearts within our culture, right? It's been Valentine's Day, so your mailboxes and maybe your kitchens are still full of of Valentine's cards, and they have all these beautiful hearts on them and, and sayings about um, our hearts and what they mean and, and these, these desires of our hearts and expressions of that. And, and while, you know, certainly I, I, I don't want to um, come down on Valentine's Day, but I will say trying to pick out cards for your kids for Valentine's Day is a little hard. I went to the store and tried to pick out some cards for my kids, and it was all like, you're the best, and you're the, I mean, it was the greatest and making most, I mean, making much of my kids. And while I love them, dearly with my heart, 
I was cautious to pick up cards that positioned them as being ones who needed to be glorified. And I got to say, like, I'm sitting in the HEB having a check of heart, and I'm like, oh, my God, what is going on? I can't even pick out Valentine's Day cards for my kids. And I found one that I was like, this, hey, this one works. This is a good one. I was like, can I buy it three times? That'd be weird. So I, I just decided to, to buy silly Valentine's cards. My son got one with waffles on it that says, I love you a waffle lot. And so I went with other things. But it is really hard. It's, re, like it's, it's hard because like our culture it has this, this high value that we place on the heart. It has this very strange value in that. They imagine the heart as being this, this source of truth. right? We, we use expressions like, listen, just listen to your heart and follow your heart. And I got to remind this church, that really is just a bunch of hooey. It's a bunch of hooey. It doesn't take much to deceive our hearts, does it? Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That doesn't fit on a Valentine's card. <laughs> or Matthew 15.9, Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. Does that sound, does your heart sound like something that you should listen to or follow? That description of your heart? No. But thank God that he gives us, his children, a new heart. Now, to be clear, I'm not, um, I don't mean to say that there's actual brains in your heart. Okay, so when we talk about this thing, that's not even the shape of a heart, that thing that appears on Valentine's cards and we cut out of construction paper. That's not the shape of a heart. And, and actually, the, you don't think from right here. All right, even the kids know this. Kids, where do we think from? You can point to it. It's supposed to be here. There we go, yeah. We, we think from up here, right? There's no brains in our actual blood-beating heart. But this word heart is used to describe our desires, our yearnings, our feelings, our emotions. And it's a powerful, powerful part of our human condition. In fact, we, as those who are made in the image of God, we know what God has designed us to be. He's, he's designed us with all of these abilities to have empathy, emotions, feelings, desires, and yearnings. However, as his children, though, we don't follow our hearts. We follow Christ. And Ezekiel 36, 26 says here, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. See, the Christ follower submitting himself or herself daily to the Holy Spirit is in the process of being made this new creation in Christ. Therefore, we're, we're still prone to wander. We're prone to sin. We must guard our thoughts, our hearts, if you will, but mostly from ourselves than anything else. Proverbs 28, 26 says, Whoever trusts in his own mind, and some translations use the word heart there, but whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. Let that be a, 
challenge or a warning to us this morning, church, that if, if you've kind of bought into that at some level to trust your heart, to trust your, you know, to follow your heart and listen to your heart, there's something better to follow. There's something better to listen to. There's something that's true, that, has, that is the source of truth, that isn't himself truth. And that's what we should follow above anything else. Even when those yearnings and those emotions and all those things lead us in certain directions, that we submit those over to Christ and give those to him. Give him our yearnings. Give him our desires and our emotions. Give those things to him and, and allow him to do those do that work in us. And moving a little further ahead here in chapter 5, in that same verse, says here, um, for because of these things, I'm sorry, here in verse 6, for because of these things, so what things are we talking about here? Well, it's the things that we were talked about last week. And we had this list of activity that Paul refers to earlier here in, in this chapter, in chapter 5, which are sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking, which is, and covetousness is, is, is called idolatry. See, there's this, there's this common thread that all of these sins have against the Lord, and that's this need for us to gratify our own desires. It's this need for us, this, this want that we have, this bend that we have to follow our own hearts and to satisfy things ourselves. That when we have an itch, we want to scratch it. When we, when we want something, we think we deserve it and we go after it. And much of which is idolatry. And it plays out in, in other ways here in immorality and impurity. But our call, rather than submitting to the desires and the passions and, the, and, the, and, the, and the, the feelings that we have in our hearts, is to submit to the Lord. Even our desires for joy, our desires for happiness, our desires for good things still need to be submitted to God. And it goes on to say here, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. I want us to look first, go to the end here, before we go back to the first part of this, this talking about wrath. I want us to look at this, the, the children or sons of disobedience. So who are these, these sons of, of disobedience? Well, simply, they're not the children of God. But this isn't the first time that Paul has used sons of disobedience in a description. He used that back in Ephesians 2.1, and he said, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So we see just in, in there at the, the start of, of Ephesians 2, where Paul's referencing sons of disobedience, children of wrath. These are not the children of God. 
In fact, we would say that they're children or offspring of another father, namely Satan, and not Christians who battle with their own sin nature. And I want us to, to focus on this for just a moment. And that's that children of disobedience don't battle with their sin nature. They embrace it. They hold on to it. It's, it's something that they don't struggle with. They embrace it completely. They celebrate it. And they openly defy God and his word. Disobedience really is just rejecting God's authority. His authority to know what's best and his authority to give what's best. Our God is a good, good giver for those who call him father. And in our first week of the study on chapter 5, Paul reminds us, the church, that we're God's kids. In verse 1, it reads, Therefore, be imitators of God as what? Beloved children. Be imitators of God as beloved children. That's, that's who we are. In Romans 8, 16 through 17, Scripture says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we, f- we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Romans 8, 28 Reminds us here too, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. For those of us who are in Christ, our identity is as a beloved child of God, a brother with Christ, and an heir with Christ. So when we look at Scripture here, and it talks about the sons of disobedience, these children of disobedience, these children of wrath, for those who are in Christ, that's not us. Now let's look at this word wrath, because it's a pretty charged word. I've got to give us a little bit further context for wrath in in the letters that Paul wrote to the Roman church. We've been in Romans. We'll spend some more time here in Romans today, too. In Romans 2.5, it says, But according to your hardness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Romans 18, he writes, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven upon all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold down the truth in unrighteousness. See, wrath isn't God getting mad at us. Wrath is not God losing his temper with us. Instead, it's something actually far more serious than that. It's his ultimate and final judgment against sin. The book of Colossians also speaks of the coming wrath and Judgment of God, and it says in Colossians 3, verses 5 through 6, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, 
But now you must put them away, put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, uh, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Let me go back here to Romans in uh, chapter 5, verse 9. The text reads, Much more than having now been justified in his blood, will we be saved through him from the wrath. For those who are in Christ's church, we are saved from that wrath. An eternal judgment for sin. We accept, we are grateful we acknowledge that Jesus has paid that penalty for our sin on the cross. But the Lord does discipline those whom he loves. And so we're not, we're not receiving God's wrath when he disciplines us. That these ways that, that Paul is challenging the churches that he's written to that I've read from about putting off the old self with its practices and put on this new self, like it's, it's this process of being conformed to the image of Christ. And, and we still have this, this flesh and blood, this sin nature that, we're, that we exist in, that for the believer, again, we, we battle with sin. We call it out and we call it for what it is and we say that's not who we, we are. And we don't want any part of that. And occasionally, the Lord does the work too. He disciplines us. It says in Proverbs 3.12, the Lord disciplines those who he loves. And for those who have had the, the privilege and responsibility of having children, they understand this too. That the, sometimes, oftentimes, the, the most loving thing that we can do for our kids is to discipline them for their good and for their benefit. And it may not seem that way to our kids at the time. And it may not seem that way when you receive discipline from the Lord at the time, that it's, that it's good. It can, it can be painful. It can be uncomfortable. It can hurt. But he loves you. And he loves me. And he provides me with discipline when I need it. And I'm thankful for it. I'm grateful for it. We should too, church. It goes on here in verse 7, and it says, Therefore, do not become partners with them. Talking about those sons, those children of disobedience. Don't become partners with them. Simply, don't, don't join them in their sin. Why? Because that's not who you are. You're not a son or child of disobedience. That's not your identity. That's not who you are anymore. Your identity comes from the Lord. And when it really sinks into our core, and I'm going to use a personal pronoun here, when it really sinks into my core, when it has sunk into my core, beyond my mind, but into my bones, what God has done for me by sending his son, by sparing me from the judgment that I deserved for the sin that I've committed, my response 
should be adoration. It should be gratitude. It should be thankfulness. It should look like worship. And those things, when we keep our eyes so focused on Jesus, and we keep our hearts so submitted to him, and so, and so much an adoration of what he's done for us, we'll be so busy just focusing on him that we're not worrying about how to say no to sin because we're saying yes to him. We won't struggle with how, how, do, we, how do we turn down this, this sin or how do, we, how do we move away from it when we're just focused on the Lord and we are in awe of everything that he has done for us. And we really let that seep into our bones. We're not saying no to sin any longer. We're saying yes to him. And that, that is a much, much easier place for us to be. Just submitting to, to our Lord. Church, do you believe that God can change your desires? Do you really believe it? Do I really believe it? I do. I believe that we do. I believe we get very um, distracted sometimes. Not deceived. I think we get distracted from the Lord. And I'm, this One of the means of grace that God uses within this church is, is the, the familial relationships that you all carry with one another. That when we get distracted from the Lord and what he's done for us, that we point each other back to him and we say, what's, what's the matter with you? Like, like what's wrong? Like, you, you know who you are as a child of God. So go forward and be a child of God. Are you, are you carrying uh, pain and sorrow and grief and shame for sin that you had in your life before Christ? That was the old self. You don't have to carry that any longer. Are you still dealing with a sin that you've not con confessed in some way and have not processed that, have not gone to a brother or sister and, and, and confessed that to them, someone that you've sinned against? Church, as a family, we get together and we confess those things to each other and we can say, go do that. And here's how you do it. And we go to scripture together and we give examples for how we do it. And that's what life-on-life -life discipleship looks like. And that's the call that we have to, to and for each other. In verse 8, it says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So you were darkness. Not you were in darkness, but you were darkness. And not that you now are in the light, but you are light in the Lord. I hope we caught that. What's being described here, going from being darkness to being light, is a radical transformation. That's, those are stark contrasts. And contrast really like being 
more than just that thing on your TV that turns up. Like light and dark, that's what it controls, right? Light and dark. That's what we're talking about here. That's the difference in, in what you were and what you are now. A new creation, not a renovation or a reclassification or a reorganized version of you, but a reborn child of God. So we're celebrating, people, and that's awesome, right? So it says here, it keeps going into verse 8, Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Again, children of light, not children in light, but of it, made of it, made in it. So how do we know what's good and right and true? Well, it says so here in, in verse 10. Quite simply, it's, it's what's pleasing to the Lord. It says, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. How do we discern what's pleasing to the Lord? First, we have, to, we have to understand where we define our standards. What is good, right, and true? And how does that seem, if, if we're defining our standards by the culture, where that seems, that, that, the answer for that, the definition of what's good, right, and true can be very different from person to person. Right? That's, a, that's what they call subjective instead of objective truth. In our culture that we live in, speaking your truth is not only encouraged, but it's celebrated. It's elevating one's personal convictions as their utmost authority for how to live their life, to find peace, and how to relate with others. And that's a very subjective thing. That's going to change from person to person. If we were all allowed to just come up with our own definitions of good, right, and true, we went around the room here, we'd, we would come up with, with lots of different answers. Thank God we point our eyes toward that who develops real truth. But Paul isn't directing this exhortation to the world. He's talking about believers. He's not talking to the culture. He's talking to, to the church here. And there's only one truth to which we must yield above our own feelings and emotions and desires. And that comes from God and specifically his holy word, the Bible. In 2 Timothy verse 3, 16 through 17, it says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Our authority on truth comes from the word of God and not the heart of man. The call here in verses 6 through 10 is not for us individually, solely individually, although it is applicable for us individually, but it is also for us corporately. For the church, together as a family, as a whole, to try to, to discern what's pleasing to the Lord, for us to walk together as a group of called out ones, as children of the light, it does in fact say children plural, like that's all of us. The church, how can, we, how can we protect or defend ourselves from deception? And James 1.22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Be doers of the word. We don't do 
things in the Bible to be children of God. We are children of God, so follow our Father. That's the relation we need to have an understanding of of what's being called for us to do here, is remember who you are, remember your identity, and go and be who you are. Our trying is not a trying to earn God's favor. Our call is to discern what's pleasing to the Lord. And why? Because, man, we, we love him because he's awesome. Because he's all we need. Because he's done it all for us. Like, that should inform and inflame our hearts this morning to want to do anything just to please This God who is in charge of everything, who is sovereign, who is above all, who did everything for us, who sent his son for us. He's given us everything. He's given us eternity. He's given us no fear, no condemnation. He's he's given us us. He's given us a family. He's given us his son. And not just a son, but a savior and a brother and a friend. He's given us Jesus. Ultimately, the message to the Ephesian church uh, in today's text is the same message that we need to receive in today's church. And that's that we're children of God. And our call, church, together in this room, and as the global church, is to protect that identity, to remind each other of it, and to keep ourselves and our church body from becoming deceived or distracted into thinking or behaving even to the contrary. And I'm grateful for you all in that respect. And it's mornings like this where we have to start with with difficult subject matter that we can walk through these things together. And that when I become distracted, I'm grateful that I have you all to point me back to Jesus. And I'm leading my family in a way that's not aligned with Scripture. Or if I just need a swift kick in the bottom, which I've gotten on a couple of occasions, thankfully, that I have a family here that... um, that will do that for me and remind me that I'm a son of God. I'm grateful for that. I thank you very much, church. I love you. Would you stand with me as we close this morning?